journalist and author Kayleen Schaefer. I, you guys, can't get enough of her. I read her book, her first book, Text Me When You Get Home, recently, and have you ever had one of those experiences where you're reading a book and you're sold after the intro and then you keep reading and it just gets better and better and you really don't want it to end? That was my experience with Kayleen's book. I was rationing it. I found myself weirdly saving it and like not wanting to finish it because I didn't want it to be over, but I had to finish it because I was interviewing her and I wanted to basically geek out over sections of the book that really resonated with me and ask her about the writing process. And anyway, she's a fascinating person. So if you haven't read her book, maybe read it first. There's it's kind of a memoir-esque situation. There's not a ton of spoilers in this, but just read the book anyway. You can listen to this first and it will make you want to read it. You could read the book first and this will really just scratch your itch to know even more about the process and the behind the scenes of what went into the book. I love this book so much. I'm not really talking about it too much in this intro because you're going to hear a lot about it, but basically it's an ode to female friendship and I laughed I cried and I love this conversation almost as much as I love the book maybe as much Kayleen's a journalist and obviously the author of text me when you get home and she's written for Vanity Fair the New York Times New Yorker Vogue and she's been all over you'll hear all about her career and her life as a whole, her tips for writing, creativity. She's a delight, and I want to get to that episode as quickly as possible. But first, just a couple quick announcements. I am giving a workshop in Greenpoint. If you are in New York, if you're in Brooklyn, if you're in Manhattan, if you're in any borough, you should come. It's going to be about cathartic writing, writing for anxiety, relief and just journaling and creative writing and it should be a really great time i'm excited to go there it's this very cool space called maha rose and i'm excited to hang out there much less be doing an event there i'm also doing something at the alchemist kitchen in july info for that will be at the website and i'm emceeing the good fest in philly on august 11th and the whole reason why i told you about these events is because i'm giving away a ticket to the good fest so tomorrow if you're listening to this the day it comes out thursday the 7th that contest is happening and you just have to basically comment on this instagram photo the details will be there but I would love to give away a ticket to a listener. That would be really cool. 
and I'd love to see everyone there. We're definitely going to do a meetup again this year. I spoke at the Good Fest last year, and we did a meetup for listeners after, and it was really, really fun. So I'm going to do that as well this time. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you at the end of this episode. Let's briefly talk about periods. Most of us get them. Sometimes we're excited when they come, sometimes we're very excited when they're over for the month, and many of us complain about periods and the cramps, the irritation, the bloating. It feels like we're destined to have these symptoms, but it turns out it might not just be your body to blame for these issues. A lot of times the products that we use to manage our periods actually make these symptoms worse. That's why I'm excited to tell you guys about Flex. It's the first true period innovation product in over 80 years. That's right, I got on the phone with them and the Flex people told me that they have not innovated in the category since the 1930s. Flex was designed to change your period. It's not a tampon, it's not a cup, it's actually a flexible disc that fits perfectly inside your body. It holds five tampons worth of fluid, so you're not constantly changing it out, even on your heaviest days. And unlike a menstrual cup, Flex discs are disposable and easy to change even when you're out on the go, so you can go from your office to a workout class to hanging out with your friends and everywhere in between. You only use about two discs a day, which makes it better for the environment. Everything is BPA-free, no latex, no silicone, FDA-registered, hypoallergenic. It's a pretty cool product, guys. I, I think you should check it out. Have the most comfortable period of your life. If you want to, go to IHateTampons.com and use the code LETITOUT to get an additional 30% off your first purchase. Again, that's the code LETITOUT and go to the link in the show notes for 30% off your purchase. Thank you so much, Flex, for supporting this podcast. to tell you about one of my favorite brands, Care of Vitamins. You might already know and love them like I do, but if not, Care of is a monthly subscription vitamin service made from effective quality ingredients personally tailored to your exact needs. Vitamins can fill the important gaps your body might be missing from its food or give you an extra boost where you need it. To figure out what supplements can help you feel your best, simply go to Care-of's website and you take this super short, fun quiz. It asks you questions about your lifestyle, everything from how much you sleep to how much you poop, and from there, it recommends to you in minutes exactly what vitamins can help you feel your best. All the recommendations are based on clinical research and traditional medicine with input from doctors and nutritionists. I love the packaging and design of everything Care-of makes. Your supplements will come to you in these beautiful, individually wrapped, personalized packets. I love them when I'm traveling and really just every day since I'm always on the go. And I think you will love them too. For 25% off your first month of personalized Care-of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the code Katie. Again, that's for 25% off your first month of personalized Care-of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the code Katie. That's K-A-T-I-E, just in case you didn't know how to spell my name. I just genuinely loved the book so much, and I cried multiple times, but especially at 
footage on here and read it during this, but I, I think I'm gonna do it in the intro when I introduce you before okay. this because it was so, it was just so good. Yeah, when I wrote the last paragraph, I was like, I think I nailed it. Yeah, like, and I sent it, nailed it. I sent it to my editor because we've been going back and forth about the conclusion a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it took a couple tries to get it right, and yeah. then I finally I wrote that last paragraph, and I was like, and I sent it to her, and I was like, I feel like I landed a plane. Oh yes, she was that's like, yes, that's perfect. Yeah. That is the best feeling. It was great. But okay, so before we get into your background, I've been really liking starting these episodes in the present and uh -huh. kind of working our way out from, from the middle. So what's been on your mind today? What have you been contemplating, realizing, learning? Maybe not just today, but in the past like week Yeah. Or well, I mean, this was my first book. So I had, it sounds so ignorant to say it, but I had zero expectations. Like I really didn't. And so like I got through the whirlwind of promoting it and now I'm sort of like, because it's been out a few months mm -hmm. and, um, do right when I moved to New York especially I remember saying I feel like I have a lot of acquaintances but I don't have very many friends yeah and your book really you know makes that distinction which I want to talk about but that I feel yeah. like that's an example of a bunch of acquaintances, of acquaintances being like no I know this person I yeah. absolutely sell her my jewelry or my mascara or yeah. whatever and that person is sort of like oh I thought we were kind of friends yeah. maybe yeah, yeah, very bizarre. Okay, so let's go back. Let's zoom the lens back. Okay. You grew up in Texas. Yes. What were you like as a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up? All of that. I do think that I fell in love with writing early. My mom used to take me to camp at the library in the summers, and it was a creative writing class. One of the classes I took was a creative writing class, and like you couldn't pull me out of there. Like I was really? just like ripping wow. out the short stories. That's so cool. So I loved it, and I wrote a really it has to be the I, I could read it now I'm sure I would fall asleep it has to be the most boring novel in the world because it was called journey on roller skates Aww. and it was just me journeying through the country on my roller skates oh my gosh um, how old were you when you read that I don't know like eight maybe oh my god like, it truly would be criminally boring oh, that's so, uh, so I do think I always wanted to be yeah. there. what did your parents do were they creative my no my mom's a Spanish teacher and my dad was in the military so not at all and they yeah. continually are like I don't know where you got this writing yeah it's not genetic guys yeah. <laughs> like I did have to work on it yeah so then when did you decide to move to New York and you started working in magazines did you always know you wanted to be in New York um, my aunt took me to New York for my high school graduation trip, which was amazing. And I was here and she took me and my best friend at the time. Um, and I remember turning to my best friend and being like, I'm going to live here someday. And my best friend was like, I am not, <laughs> but I meant it. And, and I did. I did the same thing. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like some people have that moment, they just know that they'll yeah. probably either live here someday, or if they don't, they'll always wonder what it had been like what if What if I had gone? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about being here, and I just knew that this is where I wanted to live. Cool. So, when, then you went to college in Texas? Yeah, I went to college in Texas, yeah. about three hours from where I grew up. Okay. And I didn't study journalism, and it wasn't until my senior year, and I had an internship at Texas Monthly. Which really, truly used to be a wonderful literary magazine, but now it's it's lost a little bit of its luster. But when I was there, I was like, "Wow, 
this could be a career. Cool. Like I could be a magazine writer. And I just remember that realization hitting me. And I could have either moved to New York right away, but instead I went to Northwestern to go to graduate school because I hadn't studied journalism. What did you do undergrad? English and government. Okay. So I did some writing, but it was nothing journalist. Like it wasn't journalism. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went to Northwestern and did that and felt, then I felt more confident coming here and starting. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you don't need a master's, anyone out there listening, you can go ahead and be a journalist. (laughs) So you were in Chicago and then you moved to New York Mm -hmm. and is that when you started at Details? Yes. Okay, so you're at Details Magazine, and you were living in New York. What were those first couple years like? You talk about it a little bit in your book, but Um, did you have friends here? I really, I had two women I knew from grad school who were here and working, um, and a friend from high school, but not really a lot. Mm -hmm. Sort of the situation you're describing, too. Like, I knew people around New York, but no one I could really depend on. Yeah. And I, I really told myself, like, you're here to throw it all into work anyways. Yeah. Um, and when I did make friends, like I talk about in the book, they were it was with men. Like, it mm-hmm. was with guys on staff at Details, which was a men's magazine. Or, you know, my brother lived here, and then I became friends with his friends. And it was just this very, like, male-centric life for a couple of years, for my first couple of years in New York. And you were living with? Mm-hmm. I lived with my brother yeah. and another male roommate. So you were constantly around them. So... This is kind of a great segue. So I got to know you. I feel like I yeah. spent so much time with you in the last couple of days. I <laughs> too much. No, it's not <laughs> enough. I, I was actually just voice texting my boyfriend on the way over here, and I was like, you know, this is so cool that this is you know part of my job, or this is a thing yeah. that I do, a hobby, whatever, a thing that yeah. I do that I get to find s- someone who made something that I love and was meaningful to me and I get to go talk to them about it. I like that's the same thing about journalism. Super cool. Like I am um, often like, why am I the person sitting here with this person? Yeah. Like, this is an amazing Yeah. Job. Yeah. So that's how I feel. So it's cool to be able to gush over this, this book that I have notes on. I'm with glad you thought there it. wasn't too much of me because initially there was less and my editor was like, we need more of you. Wow. And no, I, was I like, loved it. I kept being like more, like more <laughs> Kayleen, please. Like I loved it. And I also loved how well-researched it was and how you vacillate so easily between personal narrative and interviews, interviews with friends, interviews with famous women, with historic women, with research. Like, it, I want to get into all of that, but it was it was just so good. But speaking of, of your relationships and your mm-hmm. your relationships with with women, you know, what was kind of in those first years, was there a, a moment, I think you kind of talk about it in the book, where this shifted? Can you mm-hmm. talk about that? I mean, it happened twofold. It happened when I started feeling like a little bit of a fraud. Like, I had been very much like, whatever the guys want to hear from me, whatever yeah. a guy would think, that's what I think, too. I'm one of them. Yeah, like and the then, cool girl. Yeah, girl. exactly. And I never wanted to do anything that would upset that balance. Yeah. I never wanted to be too feminine or too girly or too, like, too anti, whatever they were into. Yeah. Um But I started to feel a little fraudulent doing that, particularly with story ideas at the magazine where it would just be so skewed toward men are amazing. And "Eh, what about like the women's point of view on this? Um, And even with my male friends, like there was a moment where um, one of the guys had a bachelor party and I wasn't invited. And I thought like that, you know, like 
I understood it, but it also hurt me because I'd been the only women, woman with them a million nights, but then not to be invited just because it was symbolic seemed yeah. crappy to me. Um, and, but it did hit me then, like, well, you're never going to be totally accepted by these guys. You're not actually a guy. And then the second part was just that I began to see that I had been wrong about pigeonholing women as these, you know, glitter-obsessed, like, lovers of pink who I just wanted to avoid. Because I met really cool women who were doing a lot of things that I wanted to do and were personalities that I wanted to emulate and be around. And I just started to wish that I was friends with them versus being like, no, 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 I can't. I'm one of the guys. Yeah. Did that, so your your book talks about several of your friendships, mm-hmm. but the the main best friend yeah. is your friend Ruthie. Yeah. Is that, was that friendship and meeting her the kind of impetus of that shift? Yeah, it was a big part of it. Because I worked with Ruthie at Details, mm-hmm. um, and she was the assistant after me. Um, so... But we just started to connect, and I just, I wanted her to like me in a way that was unfamiliar to me, like wanting yeah. to impress another woman. But like when she'd like notice, like, oh, I like your earring, or like, you know, um, oh, did you get your eyebrows shaved? Yeah. Or like whatever, like girly stuff that I did that I was keeping a secret because I was trying to be all cool. Yeah. Uh, but then she would notice it, and I would appreciate it, and we just started to hang out, and I was like, I really like yeah. this person. This is uh, nice. Yeah, this is a really nice friendship. Yeah. So, okay, one thing that I just self-serving questions about yeah. the book. That it, so what does she think about the book and about where you, what was like handing the book? Because Ruthie is yeah. such a central character in the book. Totally. Um, probably the most central character other than you. Yeah. What, did you talk to her about the, the process and what was it like to share the book uh-huh. with her once it was out? Well, I initially, very first, when I, um, when I said I'd like to do this and I knew that I'd want to interview Ruthie, uh, we were G-chatting and I sent her a very tentative G-chat that was like, um, I'm probably going to want to interview you for the book. I can use a fake name, like just being really nervous about yeah. it. And she wrote back right away and she was like, Kayleen, there's no identity that I'm more proud of Aww. than being your soulmate and best yeah. friend. So right away, like she was like, absolutely, I'm yeah. down, you can use me. But I did pull back on her in the first draft because, you know, I didn't want to exploit our relationship Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to put stuff about Ruthie out there that she didn't want, you know, the world to know or just how, or put my view of her out there. Um, And then my editor said, you know, I I love Ruthie. Like, I want to see more Ruthie. And I absolutely understand why. Because, you know, whatever she says, like, just jumps. so good. Yeah. Yeah. And she's that way in real life, too. She opens her mouth and everyone snaps to attention. Um, Because they're just, like, waiting to be amused or, like, uh, um, or just have their minds blown. But, um, and so they asked me to put more Ruthie in. And... I said, okay, and I did, and I liked the way it was coming together, of course, but then I wanted her to read it before, Mm -hmm. so Ruthie read it before it was published. What was handing that draft off to her, like, were you nervous? Yeah, I mean, I was nervous on two levels. Was she the first person to read it in general? Um, No, another good friend who is an editor Mm -hmm. um, read it for me, because she's just been editing, I went to grad school with her, she's been editing my stuff for a long time. and then Ruthie, though, I mean, Ruthie's such a talented writer herself. 
And so I was nervous to give it to her because right. I wanted her to like, like it, it, to think like, yeah. oh, you did a good book that features me heavily. You know, I didn't want her to be like, I'm in this terrible book. Right, right. So, yeah. And, but I was also, you know, wanted to know that, like, she was okay with how I portrayed her and what I was revealing about her relationship and everything like that. So there were two levels of nervousness yeah. on that. And then what was her response? I mean, right away she read the intro and emailed me back right away and was like, I love it or I fucking love it I can't I don't know what she said actually off the top of my head exactly I haven't looked at it in a long time but she was like okay I'm gonna read this tonight when I get home she wrote that right back and then she Mm -hmm. sent another email immediately that was like okay I read the intro like it's amazing yeah and then you know she read the whole thing it's crazy the intro kind of says it it doesn't say it all but as soon as I read the intro I was like sold like I get it like it did exactly what an intro is supposed to accomplish and then I was like huh, where is she? Because I'd heard you on some other, po- I heard you on NPR and uh-huh. I heard you on some other podcast. So I was like, oh, that's like, that's everything I knew that this book would be, but I haven't even read the book yet. Yeah. And then I got this book, there's so much more. Um, and it's just, yeah, I, I, I'm feeling I'm a little bit like buttering your bread too much, but I like <laughs> really loved the book. So I'm going to like try to reel it in. But, um, okay. I want to go back to how you, how did you decide on, the concept when did it it come to you and specifically well yeah let's start with that and then we'll talk about the title the concept was based on two things the first was me sitting there realizing like I'm not uh, in high school I talk about how I was a a little bit of a mean girl not that I think that we should use that stereotype but Mm -hmm. everyone understands what I mean I was competitive I was catty you know I didn't treat my friends well yeah uh and then you know I went through the phase where I was a guy's girl and I thought I'm not those things anymore like the people I depend on for my well-being for my everyday joy Mm -hmm. are my female friends so I thought, oh, I'd like to write about that shift, which I didn't think was happening just for me. I thought it was happening in culture at large mm-hmm. a little bit too. So I wanted to tackle, you know, Broad City was big at that time when yeah. I wrote the proposal. Hashtag squad was happening. Um, and this is then, like 2015? Yeah. I th- yeah, it is. It's 2015. Okay. Um, and then the other part was I just wanted to give women permission to feel the way I did about my female friendships and I knew they were feeling it but nobody was saying like you're right these relationships are as important as any Mm -hmm. with your parents with your children with your romantic partner with your boss like with whoever these relationships are just as important as you think they are here's how we're all feeling yeah yeah and then okay obviously the title text me when you get home Uh is so great and you talk about in the intro you know it's an invitation to talk more just as it as much as telling your friends mm-hmm. that you're safe That's my so can you talk about the title and like when did it were you ever think did you know the title right away when you made the proposal did it come later how did that like idea spark in you it was not my title full disclosure mm-hmm. uh, it was my editor's title uh i titled the proposal bff okay which is fine Gets the point across, you know. Yeah. But it doesn't have that emotional resonance. Yeah. But even when my editor Maya at Dutton, um, she said, "I want to, I love this book. I want to buy it. I want to call it Text Me When You Get Home." I was sort of like, "Was that in the intro? That line? That could you write about that line in the intro?" Yeah. No, in the proposal, no, it wasn't Mm -hmm. in there at all. Um, And. I wasn't totally sold on the title because I just didn't know, like, 
I didn't want people to think it was purely about safety. I didn't want people mm-hmm. to think like, oh, it's about digital friendship or anything. Mm-hmm. Like I just, you know, I just wasn't sure. And so I kept asking everyone that I was interviewing yeah. in the early days, just like, what do you think? Do you like my title? Do you like my editor's mm-hmm. title? What, how do you feel about this? And um, one of my friends who finally made me realize how great this title was, mm-hmm. she goes, I like the editor's title. It's emotional. And then I got it. Then I yeah. was like, you're right. Like, yes, women say this about safety. Text me when you get home, you know, death, check off your safety yeah. in your bed. But they mean, like, text me whenever. Like, yeah. I'm always here for you. I've yeah. got you, no matter if you're totally. in front of me in the parking lot or, you know, you are miles away in your apartment mm-hmm. by yourself feeling lonely. I'm here. Yeah. And so when I understood that, then I could write the intro and, and then it really brought more emotional heft to the book. Yeah. It's interesting that you said that because I maybe I found the book after I already heard you speaking about the book. So yeah. I knew what the concept was. But now that I hear you say that, there's a chance that I could have thought it was about digital friendship. Sure. Or, but I think that it has so much emotion mm-hmm. that I would have been drawn to it because of the title. Mm-hmm no matter what yeah because that that there's something about that line that that I love so much okay so you you touched on this a little bit about how female friendships are is you know they were becoming more important to you in your own life which spawned the concept for your book Mm -hmm. and the book is you know essentially all of these beautiful love stories that are romantic yet platonic and you know, you ask why friendship as an institution isn't afforded the same benefits and privileges as marriage. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about that and what change, you know, policy-wise you think, do you, do you see that happening? Do you, you know, you did so much research mm-hmm. for this book. It's that having actual policy changes is really nascent. Like mm-hmm. that's, it's on the horizon a little bit like there are some attorneys working on this and maybe eventually you know we'll get someone suing a hospital because her friend wasn't allowed in or you know someone fighting to have her friend you know give her health insurance benefits or or some way that legalizes this relationship I don't know. I think that that's a long way away. I don't think it should be. Yeah. There's no reason for it. Bigger fish to fry. I don't, it's just sort of whoever you depend on, you depend on. And I think anyone should be able to depend on whoever they want to. But I just don't know that our society, which is so tilted toward the marriage model, Mm -hmm. is really going to do that. And, you know, what I was just trying to do really was do it not, not, um, to make this case not for legal ties, but even more, just even more underneath, to start underneath that and just say, just make it for social ties yeah. and just how we talk about friendships. Yes. You know, so we have to start, we have to start there. And yeah. I think that the conversation is really more or less there. Policy wise, we kind of touched on it, but then what about, you talk about this in the book, and this is one of the parts that really struck me about culturally how mm-hmm. we talk about marriage to how we talk about our friends and people just, parents and generations especially, but just people in general, I I think you quoted in the book something like a a post of someone's engagement gets Mm -hmm. so many likes and someone talking about their job or talking about like any other thing. It's just like, okay. Right. And then it's just, I haven't gotten that out of my mind since I read that. And just, you know, I feel like 
I'm I'm at an age where this is happening, but I'm just seeing, you know, I have a wedding next weekend yeah. and I have a wedding the following weekend, totally. two in a row. Uh-huh. Like I don't know if I'm going to wear the same dress or not. <laughs> you but, can. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, but but anyway, yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like I've had milestones in my life that are just really different than mm-hmm. a lot of my peers, but again, don't get the same recognition, but if I talk about my boyfriend, it's like that's all people want to talk totally. about. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about that and just like, I don't know, I just want to kind of hear your voice on it. It was all in the book. We're tilted so much to that relationship still. Um, A woman I interviewed for the book, it's sort of similar to what you were saying. She'd gone to a friend's wedding and she hooked up with one of the groomsmen. And and her friend texted her to be like, yeah, the bride. A a couple weeks later was like, hey, have you heard from whatever the groomsman's name? And she was just sort of like, no. Like, I, that's not important. Like, yeah. why aren't you texting me to ask me about my job or anything. my roommate or, like, my friendships or, like, whatever, anything. But that was what she wanted to yeah. know. Like, she only wants to know about a relationship in her life if that person was male yeah. and was going to propose to her. Yeah. Um, it, that part was so fascinating to me because I, like, having worked in a, in a corporate job... Uh-huh. I felt like I couldn't, I was with people for a really long time. I was single. I'd been in a long relationship and then I was, I didn't have a relationship and I had to be at these dinners or these just like meetings yeah. with people and with bosses and all of them were either in a long-term relationship or married right. except me. And I had nothing to talk about. Like, like no <laughs> one knew. And I, it just, I felt like I couldn't hang because no one wanted to ask me about anything other than... Right. You were outside of their comfort zone. Yeah. It was really, really strange. Mm -hmm. And then I started dating and I remember my, this is so weird, but my boss at the time who I was very close with told me to relate to, you know, her boss, like our bigger boss. She was like, just, you know, tell her about your dating life, honestly. Really? Like, she'll love that. And I did it. I, I was like, really? it was like the only way I could works. connect with her. And I didn't have to, like, talk about work. But I was like, this is so bizarre. Yeah. Like, and and re- I didn't really realize how bizarre it was until yeah. I read in your book that, like, what a weird society that we live in. You know, it's so interesting because that's absolutely true. It absolutely happens. Like, you want to talk about a guy or you say you're dating someone yeah. or whatever. You want to share, like, how your boyfriend is, like, screwing up or whatever. People are all in. But I did find in writing this, the feedback that I've gotten is that many women are like, thank you. I'm so glad we're talking about this too. Like I say it in the book, but there's not only one love story in our lives. And I think women want to talk about this one too. And we should be talking about it because we've talked about our relationships a lot. (laughs) They're still going to be important, but still. Yes. I mean, as I, as I read this book, the emotions that I had kind of went from, you know, feeling so in love with my friends and just mm-hmm. wanting to pause and call them yeah and um and then also just being just really questioning society and being like this is crazy and I yeah. that's, in so many ways I didn't even realize it was happening so I, your book is helping shift that culturally that's, that's amazing really. yeah and it, it is still it's so funny it's still there even like when my editor was editing the book she wanted to know, I talk about a breakup, and she wanted to know, like, well, what happened with the guy? And I was like, that is not the point. I liked that that wasn't, that <laughs> was wasn't like, in there. not focused on yeah. this. Like, this is a choice, that this is not the story I thought I'm that telling. was really cool. Yeah. yeah, I was so happy that, because I was, honestly, I was kind of wondering, I was like, 
how's she gonna land this plane? Like, will yeah. she be like, and I got married, right. or and it's this, or right. and you know, I didn't know, and I'm so happy that you know. Spoiler yeah, no, alert, it was on purpose. But, that I yeah. just was like, that's not the story. That's no, a different story. No, yeah, that was that was really cool. Uh, something else that I wrote down early on in the book, you quoted Jemima Kirk. This goes mm-hmm. back to the cool girl, mm-hmm. um, and in kind of your story a bit, where you were talking about how you were a guy's girl, and that was where you were most comfortable until that shifted. And she said a line that again was kind of an aha moment for me, where she said you know, when someone says I'm a guy's girl, it mm-hmm. isn't true. No one will understand you like a woman can. Mm-hmm. I loved that part yeah. so much, identified with it so much. And I think it leads in well to, you know, you interviewed so many people for this book. You have so many cultural touch points in this book, but one of them is with Esther Perel, the mm-hmm. relationships expert, mm-hmm. famous lady. And she, I'd heard this before, but it really related here to Jemima's quote of how putting all that pressure on your relation, mm-hmm. your romantic relationship mm-hmm. to be your business partner and your best mm-hmm. friend and your financial advisor and your, you know, and your sexual partner, like all in one person is, is actually really unhealthy mm-hmm. for all of those things. Um, and anyway, I just, I just related to that so much. Can you, can you talk about that and how, you know, what was the, the yeah. research process kind of like for that? I mean, I had, I knew about her work, I think, before I started, too, and I, I wanted to take the somewhat controversial stand that we should stop calling our romantic partners our best friends. Yeah. And it's in most of the vows. I bet you hear it at least once totally. in your two-wing stretch. Yes, I will, I will text um, you. <laughs> and, and it's just, he doesn't have to be that. You can yeah. have a best friend, and you can have a romantic partner, and they can be different people. I'm not saying you guys shouldn't be friends. Like, you should absolutely like each other. Mm-hmm. But exactly what you said, like, he just doesn't have to be everything. And I think, like, I don't totally understand why that shift happened. Like, why we wanted to give men even more. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. let's just take this away from our women friends, and now he's my best friend. Too. Yeah. It's interesting because, and I, and I would love to talk this out with you, too. I, ever since I was a kid, I've had, and this goes to the best friend concept, which you, you talk about mm-hmm. and you quote the Mindy Project with oh, Mindy yeah. saying, like, it's a, it's a tear, tear, which I love, but I would always kind of have one person at a time that I would get really close with, uh-huh. and it was almost out of, and, and this is definitely carried over to being an adult, where I can have a couple of friends, but there's one person I tell all of the things to Mm -hmm. because out of time, out of proximity, out of just like comfort, sometimes it's hard to go there with a lot of people or even a couple. And I just do that with one. And I found myself doing that with my boyfriend just because I would talk to him the most. Mm -hmm. And I realized even like very recently, like after reading your book too, of that's not how I want it to be. Mm -hmm. Like I almost kind of want to unmesh that to, to really fill these other roles and I found myself calling my best friend more uh-huh. and having these conversations with her first and kind of processing it yeah with someone who maybe understands me better or understands me differently right. in a way that he can't and I don't know that was just that was just really really helpful I think it's good to like like all of this just to kind of talk these things out you know I think women 
need all the support they can get. And that means different people will support you in different ways. And there's nothing wrong with having, you know, a million friends to go to or just one friend you always go to. And then, you know, a different support system, like maybe your boss or something. Yeah. But I just think that there's a danger in any in any way you put all of you, everything on one person totally. like even if that is a friend that friend might be like okay i can't handle all this yeah so. yeah diversifying mm-hmm. just like you would with like investing yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> um emotionally diversifying. <laughs> diversification um well going back to jemima's quote mm-hmm. about no one understands you like women do i was curious do you still have male friendships do you still kind of the when Harry met Sally like question like do you feel like you can be close with your male friends as you can be with Ruthie and your female friendships I do I do I totally still have guy friends and this this book wasn't meant to exclude men and I spent a lot of time during the initial stages of this being like I'm not saying relationships with guys are bad I'm saying our friendships with women are equal to those yeah um so yeah of course I do but I have found and other women I interviewed echoed this that there's just something there's some feeling when you're with a group of women or when you're with another woman there's like it's a sense of safety it's a sense Mm -hmm. of security there's empathy I mean it feels just more cozy yes exactly like at risk of it's I don't mean to sound cheesy and I don't think it is cheesy because I think it's there and I think women know it's there and it's not a knock on our friendships with guys that's it's just a different vibe yeah you know there's just a different feeling between friends when it's a guy too yeah yeah I 100% agree and relate I, there were so many parts in the book that I related to and have you know been talking about many of them I've, I've already shared but was there anything that people are picking up on and talking about and relating to in this book most or anything that surprised you since it's been out for a couple of months hmm I love that people love Ruthie that was not a surprise yeah. um I don't know. I mean, I'm overwhelmed by the, how the whole book has been received. Yeah, it let's just, talk about that. It didn't occur to me. I mean, I hoped people would read it. But it just didn't occur to me that it would start a conversation and that I would get feedback from women, which I'm getting on Instagram and emails on Twitter. So um, you know, just by sitting here talking to you, just the fact that women really do want to talk about mm-hmm. this. And I had a hint with the women I interviewed. Um, because we would keep talking and, and they'd be like, okay, we're done. And then they'd keep talking. Like when I talked to Judy Bloom, she kept being like, okay, I've got to go. I've told you everything that I know about female friendship. Like I got to go. And then she would talk for 45 more minutes. Wow. And so it was like women just, the floodgates opened and they seemed yeah. to be saying, like, I'm so glad we're finally talking about this. Yeah. Um, and, and so that has surprised me a little mm. bit. I want to talk in a about, really good way. yeah, yeah, of course. I want to talk about models for female friendship Mm -hmm. and not having them in our mothers and how you talk Mm -hmm. about how many mothers of earlier generations think female friends would take away from kids but now as an adult it makes you feel closer to your mom to hear about her friends can you talk about that well I mean my situation is my situation obviously Mm -hmm. like I've never I never intended to say that you know women our age didn't watch their mothers have friendships right but for many women who grew up in the 50s or who came of age in the 50s their their 
infidelity was to their husbands and their children, and that's the that was who they focused on, and mm-hmm. their friends were either non-existent or very much a side endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was my experience. My mom did that. She hid her friendships from me, or she just didn't devote time to them because she was so focused on me and my dad. Um, and so now that she has evolved or let that go because I'm grown too and she's older and to watch her making friends is really cool. Like she went to cooking class last night oh, cool. with two of her friends and they made like a five course Italian meal. Wow. That's, that's so great. Like so that's great. wonderful. Like yeah. I'm so glad that you have that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been really cool for me to see that too. Yeah. I related to that part a lot. Similar was your mom you. like that? Yeah. I, my mom's one of six. Mm-hmm. So she has, and all of the kids still live in the small town yeah. I grew up in. So she has her sisters and that was kind of the only model of friendship. Mm-hmm. She has like kind of one friend from high school, but yeah. they, it wasn't a priority, you know? Yeah. And even when my parents divorced, it wasn't a priority. She has her family, but yeah. it, it makes me, I think I, I kind of, the emphasis in, even in our conversation was more on romantic relationships mm-hmm. because I think that was what she valued mm-hmm. and what she saw valued. Right. And yeah, it's, it's interesting for sure. Yeah, and that's what made, you know, that's what made her happy and mm-hmm. she just wants you to be happy too. Yeah. You know, I never think that it's a negative no. thing that her moms no, want this. Not at all. But it is just a different model. And women stay single longer now. Like, that is a big part of Mm the shift. You know, we don't marry right out of high school or college. There are are many years when you rely on your friends. And to stop doing that when you get married doesn't make a lot of sense. No, no, totally. I... I think, you know, your mom also, like Ruthie, is a major character in, mm-hmm. in the book. She is. Were you nervous to have her read it? What was her reaction to the book? No, my mom, I mean, she just, she's, she's you can put whatever you want about me. It's, she's very easygoing. I mean, she's sort of hard to interview because she doesn't have a great memory. She's not very quotable. <laughs> so she would, we would talk, and then she would call that friend that we were talking about. Like, she ended up calling her roommate in her early 20s, and which was kind of cool because then they reconnected. Yeah. Or she oh, called cool. the woman she used to walk with when I was a little kid. Yeah. Um, so that was neat that they oh, reconnected. Really cool. um, yeah. yeah, but she never... She yeah. Just care what I yeah. About what did her. she think of this success and all of your success? I mean, she loves it. Yeah. But she'd be proud of me no so matter proud. what. You you talk about the concept of Mean Girls, which you mentioned earlier, uh-huh. and your friendships as a kid, which I also related to so much. Really? And the the thing, I wrote down one quote from your book, in particular, when you said this line. You said. I was walking around from one circle of girls to the next, <laughs> looking for. One who would let me stand yeah. there. And so like, even just saying so that, pathetic. it makes me want to cry, though. Like, it's so funny. Sometimes I remember, like, where I was when I read things. Uh-huh. And, like, I know exactly where I was when I read that. And I, that was my experience as well. Can you talk about your middle school relationships and what they were like and how they impacted how you engaged in female friendships as an adult? Yeah, I mean, it was tough. I didn't understand why these girls didn't want to talk to me. Like, I didn't understand what I did or what was wrong with who I was. And I just 
saw like oh well that's how you have to be with your friends you have to shut them out or you have to be competitive with them or you can't tell them why you're not talking to them just don't talk to them yeah. <laughs> you know? I was fully schooled in the ways of subterfuge and yeah comp- competing with your friends yeah it's it's so sad I remember I this book really asks you to kind of subconsciously just I started thinking about my middle school yeah. friendships and my high school yeah. friendships and Where'd going you grow through up? it in Michigan. Okay. So there was, I remember it and I hadn't remembered this since, like hadn't thought about this in years until uh-huh. I read the book. And I remember being at recess and I had a lip gloss, like, <laughs> so I don't know who gave it to me. I had some lip gloss uh-huh. and I was like trying to buy friends. I was like, I'll let you use the lip totally. gloss if I can swing with you. Totally. And it was so sad and pathetic, but yeah. it was like I unlocked that and like how painful that was. I know. One yeah. of my friends in middle school, she used to have like wintergreen certs and she would buy like big packs of them and give them out. Same kind of thing. And I just stop doing that but still I was like gosh she's gonna be cooler than me because of those certs (laughs) it's crazy it's so sad and yeah it it just it made me feel less alone to to hear about all of this and it's funny so I I wrote down in my notes as I was reading you talk about reconnecting with someone Mm -hmm. who was your you know cool girl of middle school and high school and I I wrote down in my notes because I was kind of reading and also preparing for this and so I was wondering about Renee and like, oh, I wonder if at the beginning when you first mentioned her as a kid, I was like, I wonder if she's going to read this. I wonder where is she now? Like that was what I wrote down to ask you. And then I read along further that you actually met up with her recently and got together with her. And I would, I just want to hear more basically. Did you keep in, what was that like for you? Were you nervous? nervous? Yeah. I can't email Renee Tarwater. She doesn't want to talk to me I mean and that showed like how ridiculous is yeah. that we are both grown women and she was like I'll help you with anything like let's meet or we talked on the phone first we talked on the phone first it was a great conversation and we were both happened to be traveling to LA the next week and I'm like, let's meet up like, let's do it and I'm we so did glad that worked out. and it was so great it was great sitting there and talking to her and we fully acknowledged that had we been at a high school reunion and we were talking people would be like why are they talking but in the restaurant we were sitting at, we looked like we had been friends for years. We looked like we would fit together. Like no one would know that history at so all. Bizarre. Um, and then we have stayed in touch, which has been amazing. She mm. came to the Dallas book launch. Oh wow! Um, it was wonderful. Did you like introduce her and say, oh my, "My dad is my dad is a little loud"? And um, he was like, "She came in into the restaurant where we were hanging out afterwards." He was like, mean girl, mean girl. Oh, God. <laughs> and Renee was like, it's okay, I've been called worse. Like, she's that kind of personality yeah. where it just all rolls off her. Um, she's really, she's really wonderful. And she charmed my whole family. Wow. Everyone was so glad she was there. Did your parents remember her from when My you- mom did. Yeah. Yeah, my dad. All my friends were the same to my dad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow, that that's so funny. I That was my, maybe my favorite part to read. I yeah. was just like, how is this going to play out? It was very suspenseful. It was so well written. Oh, that's like, so great. Yeah. I mean, it was really just even just a wonderful thing that happened in my life mm-hmm. because of yeah. the book. Um, because I wanted to write about it, but also just because Renee was so willing, too, to talk to me and to be part of it. And I sent um, 
I sent the book, like with Ruthie, I, I sent Renee the section to read to be like, are you okay with this? Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, because like she's been so generous with her time and just like being so honest with me about how her high school experience was. And um, she was totally fine with it, except she wanted me to take out the part where she um, slept with her high school boyfriend. Mm. And her friend had then gone to prom with him and she was so she was so mad at her friend, she didn't talk to her for a year. She wanted me to change it to kiss because she has two young sons. Oh. And she was like, well, what if they read it someday? And I was like, well, Renee, like, it doesn't, it's not as impactful. <laughs> Yeah, and, like you just made out with the guy once. Like it's not the same thing. And she was like, "It's fine. Okay, great." <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So like she, right? She that's was also just really like a cool funny postscript to get that kind of speaks yeah. to to her to um, how we are friends now. Yeah, and, you know, we text all the time. And oh, wow. when I go to Dallas, I see her. So wow, it's that's it's really so great. cool that the book allowed for that. Yeah, it really is. You you talk about the the long distance relationship that that you were in that was kind mm-hmm. of the romantic relationship that that you talk about in this, um, and how people were expecting you to move or leave New York, leave the city that you mm-hmm. lived in, and just some of the comments that you got and reactions that you were getting, I related to so much. I I live in Michigan, my boyfriend, or I live in New York, my boyfriend's in Michigan. Okay. Um, and just people constantly asking. We kind of already talked about this, I guess, about your romantic relationships, uh-huh. not your friendships and, and other things. I want to hear about, can you talk about what it was like to write about that time in your life and, and go back writing about it? Like, how did that how did that feel? I mean, it was interesting because I didn't... I don't know at the time how much I was conscious of what I was doing, how mm-hmm. much I had grown up with this long-held idea that we talked about before that my adult life began when I married. Yeah. Like, that was just what I thought the track was. You know, every grown lady in my hometown was married. Um, And so I just thought that that was going to be me. And then when it wasn't, when I made the choice that it wasn't going to, I was just sort of going... Uh, what I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to focus on my career and I wanted to focus on my friendships and, and just focus on myself. But I don't like, I think at the time I was just doing what I wanted, you know, and, yeah. and I wasn't, I wasn't conscious of how big a shift that was in the way that I was evolving and growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it, was it hard to go back and write about that time or did it feel cathartic? Sure. I don't know if hard to write about it is the right... Maybe. It's... I feel like I'm stumbling over this answer, but it it was the first chapter I wrote, and I think that the the realization, having the realization... But when I had the realization, I actually felt like, oh, this was right. What Mm -hmm. I did, Mm -hmm. in retrospect thinking about it years later, I still feel like it was the right thing. Yeah. So I wouldn't say it was hard. Like, I think it would have been hard if I was reliving it and thinking like, shoot, I, totally. I did the wrong thing. Totally. But I felt it was right. And putting it in this perspective of having years like past it helps me see it better and see where it fit in my life. Yeah. And I felt like it was, it was the right yeah. path for me. 
Did you stay in touch with that person? (laughs) Yeah, that word. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, yes, I did. Um, And, you know, he read it, and he was fine with it, and he said, I was like, did I, did I get it right? And he was like, oh, yeah, almost too right. Or I think oh, he wow. said, like, too right. Yeah, you maybe know, it was, like, I wonder what it was like for him. Yeah, yeah. so, I, you know, I, I never want to put anything out in the world that shocks someone, mm-hmm. honestly. Like, that's just not, that's not what I'm, yeah. that's not what I'm a writer for. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, no, I wanted him to see it, too. But, you know, like, obviously, like, he didn't love reliving it. Yeah, so. of course, yeah. Um. Another thing that, that stuck with me about the book was how people aren't prioritizing friendships and it's the first thing to go when we get busy and, mm-hmm. you know, for people wanting deeper relationships in their lives like mm-hmm. you have with Ruthie. What advice or tips do you have for creating and maintaining deep female friendships? I mean, you really do have to put time into it the same way you do when Mm. you're dating um it's about like at first like you want to present the best side of yourself and you want to invite them to do something or be like no I'm game for this if they invite you to do something um and so it is about being there and it's about it's about telling them you're there for them but also when they ask you too about prioritizing them I mean it's tricky balance in any relationship but yeah you just want to be like no I'm I'm really here yeah like um a bunch of women told me a crisis often brings this out I don't know that that's true in mine and Ruthie's case but they realize that their friendships could be as essential as any other relationship Mm -hmm. like one woman told me about like you know she couldn't pay rent and a friend said oh, move in with me rent-free. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if someone's in the hospital and you end up being the person who is deciphering, you know, their insurance forms or whatever. Like, I do think that that happens a lot. It takes that for you to realize how indispensable a friendship can be. Yeah. But I think you can also just get there, you know, on your own too. Just a slower build. Yeah, and it's intuitive, just like mm-hmm. other relationships, you know, it's not... Yeah, it's like, this I, is someone I want in my life for a long yeah. time, I'm going to act that way. Yeah, because I, I was thinking about that question, I was like, you know, I think proxi- you have your proximity friends, like, you know, when you were younger, like, I remember having, like, my science class friend, mm-hmm. and I had my, like, friend mm-hmm. from this club that I was in, and I had my neighbor, you know, and then it's kind of the same thing as adult, you have, like, a work friend, and you yeah. might have another friend, but... Yeah. But then also I think for when it comes to maintaining friends, like those ones you don't have to maintain because you're going to see, see them. them. Mm-hmm. But the when friendships become long distance or just, mm-hmm. you know, in New York, I feel like everyone can kind of be long distance based on yeah. where they live and right. how we see each other. But I, I think there's something about frequency. And I've been trying when I, when I moved mm-hmm. here and I was saying that when everyone felt like acquaintances, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to put effort into this mm-hmm. and I'm going to try to see, the, pick a couple because I can't have so many. And my grandma told me once that you should be able to count your good friends on one hand, mm-hmm. which I think is, like, kind of true. I like, like that, have, Grandma. I do. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can have maybe ten people, but you're probably not going to be super close yeah. to ten people. Yeah. Five is probably, like, the limit. So I kind of did that. I was like, okay, these are the people I like best right. and I want <laughs> to be around most. So I'm going to try to, like, frequently see them. Mm-hmm so it doesn't like fizzle out yeah. and I feel like that was kind of something that helped me absolutely I schedule dates with friends yeah like if I haven't seen someone I'm like, oh, when am I when are we gonna hang out yeah yeah I even, want that I need that yeah so. yeah and that kind of cements the 
friendship. And I start to feel a little bit anxious, like, oh, haven't seen them in a while. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not, this is not great for the friendship. Mm-hmm. Friendships can sustain that more depending on, like, how long they've been or how strong they are mm-hmm. or whatever. But, yeah, I thought those those things were just kind of interesting. And another thing, um, gosh, there was just, there's so much I, I want to talk about in this. The, the history of free, female friendships uh-huh. was so fascinating in the book and so much research that you did there what was the the writing process like what was the research process like you you know we already talked about using your mother and Mm -hmm. people in your life and interviewing them and and Ruthie of course and your grandmother but also you mentioned Judy Bloom and Mm -hmm. you talked about Julia Child and her relationship Mm -hmm. what was the process of of all this research did you have a structure and coming up with a manuscript? The history chapter was the hardest for me to write because it seemed a little removed because, I mean, I don't enter the story really until the next chapter when we talk about Mean Girls. Um, So it seemed a little removed from that. And also just, it's really like a lot of stuff happened in Mm -hmm. the decades and decades. Female friendship is not a new concept. It has existed forever. And so I was going all the way back to the Middle Ages. Um, in early modern times. And, and, you know, it's hard to decipher what happened back then because women weren't allowed to tell their own stories. Mm. Men wrote them. um, And at best, a woman maybe was talking to the guy while he was writing it down. Like, at worst, the guy was just writing whatever he felt like writing. Um, So it's hard to know what women's lives were like back then. So, But the experts I talked to were so generous with their time. And, you know, when they told me, like, no, women weren't allowed to call themselves friends. Like, they didn't have the moral center to be considered friends. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. That's crazy. So, like, that's where we started. We started with, like, don't even use the word friend. Wow. So we started at a pretty low place. So, I mean, I'm glad we're really yeah. on now. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they could read your book. <laughs> you talk also about some culturally female friendships are becoming more central in plots. And you mm-hmm. mentioned Insecure and Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, when you mentioned Big Little Lies, I was like, wow, I feel like I just watched that. Yeah. And I loved it. I you're, oh, me too. I'm so excited for the, the yeah. new season. But I feel like that just came out. I mean, it's been a year now, but it just hit me like how quickly your book has been written and come out. Was it that? Was did you ha- add some of that in? How long did it take you to write the whole book? I was writing the book. I was just writing mostly, maybe filling in some of the reporting when Big Little Lies was on. And I okay. was obsessed with the show. I'd read, I'd read the book. Um, before but I think the show took the bonds between the women up even more and then you know to have the actresses in real life going around talking about their friendship this has this absolutely Mm -hmm. has to be in the book so that uh, those additions were definitely in the final drafts yeah what are some of your um favorite portrayals of a female friendship or ones that you relate to the most I mean, look, I think Broad City is a very realistic portrayal of life in New York. Obviously, their hijinks are ridiculous, but just as far as, like, they just walk around with nothing to do, Mm -hmm. like we often do. Um, So I, and I, and they're, I love that their friendship is the center of Mm -hmm. the show. It, you know, there's nothing contrived that brought them together. 
um, there's not like there they have love interests, but they are the central couple you care about, mm-hmm. and I just love that that that's really and truly what the show yeah. is about. But I mean, I love so many friendships on so many shows, and Orange Is the New Black is not in the book very much, but like I really love that show and mm-hmm. the bonds between the women there, and those are real friendships. Obviously, they're in prison, so yeah, <laughs> it's different, but. You know, that's a show about female friendship, for sure. Have you, since the book came out, seen any other portrayals that you're like, oh, I wish I could put this in the book? Um, Two Dope Queens isn't fiction, mm-hmm. but, you know, they're on stage doing their stand-up together, and they're often riffing on their friendship or yeah. just talking about something they did, and their friendship is very much on display, so I love that. Um, uh I like the friendship between the marvelous uh, on the marvelous Mrs. Miss Maisel um, between the star and her agent. I think that's a great friendship, and and it comes um, in the aftermath of her separation from her husband. And you know she's leaning on this new person who is a mm-hmm. female friend. So I think that's a really great show yeah. that is centered around a friendship yeah. too. Do you think for the rest of your life, whenever you see a <laughs> culture, you'll be like? Wish I could do a postscript. <laughs> I mean, I just hope we, we see more and more yeah, because, I mean, you know, everyone when I was doing this was like, oh, well, Bridesmaids. And it's like, yes, Bridesmaids, great. But what's the next Bridesmaids? And then Girl Strip came out mm-hmm. while I was writing also. And I was like, this is incredible. I mean, I saw the movie like three times in the theater and I absolutely had to put that in. And that came while I was writing some of the final drafts too. Um, and so, you know, then you had Girl Strip. And now, like, maybe Ocean's... Or the all-female oceans. Is it, is it eight? eight? I wanted to say eight, and I, I didn't know if that was I don't right. get why it's eight, because I keep thinking it should be higher than that's all the others. That's what I think, too. I think it but, is eight. I think but, it is, But, you know, too. hopefully that's an amazing yeah. movie about women bonding. Like, you kind of look like Sandra Bullock. Like, Do you get that a lot? No, that's really nice of you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast, so no one will know. <laughs> no, it's true. It's beautiful. <laughs> Um, well, I, I cut you off. Were you going to say something else about that? No, I just, I hope, I hope we see keep, more yeah. and more. Like, the story of the male protagonist or yeah. the story of the rom-com has been told and told and told. And not that I don't love those stories. Yeah. I do. But we have room for these stories, yeah. too. Well, speaking of, speaking of movie, all yeah. I kept thinking, I don't, is it okay to, to ask this? This maybe is, is like, I, I hope this is okay to ask, but, and maybe you can't even talk about this, but all I kept thinking is I can't wait to see the movie of this. You and me both. I don't know. I've had some interest, um, but. Sandra Bullock can play you. I'm, Who's yeah, going to play Ruthie? Sure. Oh my God, I know. Oh um, yeah. Ruthie was like, I will sell my life, right? So, um. Yeah, I don't know. Has There's, there been interest? There has been interest. Cool. There has. But yeah, I have zero definitive. And my yeah. agent was like, it's a long shot, Kayleen. So, but I mean, I, I'm an optimist. The entire time, I just get... So, I've re- I feel like I've read so many books that were movies that... F- this is by far so much better than any of these books, but it felt like, like Candace Bushnell's Sex in the City yeah, before, yeah. Like, the, like how there were interviews, and I could just see it. And then, did you ever read that book? Um, like he's just not that into you. And there was I've a, seen the movie. I've never a, read the book. But I know it's those not a nonfiction book. Right. I was yeah. like, if those were made into to movies, like yeah. this is so good. I would just love to see the movie I mean, of this. I would love for you to tell everyone in Hollywood that. Yeah. Great. I mean, I would love to see it too. I well, would. If you're listening. I would love, yeah, if you guys are listening. But yeah, I think Look, Text Me When You Get Home is a great movie title. Yes. Right? I can just see it. Like, I can, I, will you do the podcast again when the movie yes, comes out? Absolutely. And you're on tour for that. Absolutely. Okay, great. I can just, I just saw the whole thing. I was like, 
walking around New York City listening to the book and I was like, yep, this is going to be a movie. Probably Reese Witherspoon's production <laughs> company. Like, yep, that, that's what's happening with that. That would be a dream. Um, okay, this is this has been a dream to talk about this book that I loved. It's been really fun talking it. to you too. Um, can we wrap up with some quickfire yep. questions? So, okay, so as a writer, what advice do you have for writers, do you have any routines and rituals when you sit down to write? How do you mm-hmm. structure your day? I the first thing I would say is you just have to write. Like I get up early. I start writing at seven just so I can start and just like get words down on page yeah. before I start checking social media or looking at the news or checking my emails or whatever. Um, because you just have to write and. That's the lamest advice ever, but it's absolutely true. Do you, okay, so you're starting at seven. Are you getting dressed at that point? Are you making coffee? Are you like, in make coffee? Just- absolutely. But no, I try to just like stumble, make coffee, and then stumble to my computer because then I'm better about not self editing because I'm in a little bit of a fog. So I'm just like, okay, go, go, go. Like, yeah. go, right, 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 right. So and I love many, that time. That's my favorite writing time. How many hours do you do that? And then do you get your, like, what's a typical day like? Um, so I will start writing at seven and then I usually shower and get ready for the day at like nine. Um, and then I go on a walk um, because I often find that when I go on that walk, what I've been working on that morning, like I'll have a realization mm-hmm. or I'll know how to fix something or I know what I want to do for the rest of the day as far as what I'm working on. Um, so I'll go, I'll go get more coffee on my walk come back, have breakfast, and keep writing. Um, and, you know, I'll do that as long as I need to. I have word counts depending on what I'm working on. So when I was late on the book, I had like a thousand words to write a day, if not maybe some days 1,200, which is too many for me. Like some writers can just jam it out, but that was too many for me. But I had to do it. I didn't really have a choice because they were like, where is yeah. the book? We have to put it out near Galentine's Day. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so until I hit my word count, like I'm not, I can't stop writing. Was that a, I mean, obviously for the book, that wasn't a, that wasn't a self-imposed, but now do you, you have certain projects that you're working on, but do you have to self-impose some of those word counts? Um, yes. Well, it depends. Like if I start, I'm not sure exactly. I may start writing something without another book deal. I may just start working on it and then I will be doing it. Mm -hmm. Just self-imposed. But, you know, if, if I'm working an, with, on another book, then usually I'll know when they expect it. I'm yeah, good with deadlines. And then I'm better with deadlines. Yeah. So I like a deadline. What about at the end of the day? What are kind of your evening routines, like the last few things you do to wind down and shut down? How do you, how do you end your day? I try to read an actual book and not my phone, although, like, sometimes it's just Sometimes I'll have my book and then I'll have the phone on top of it. And I'm like, come on, put your phone down. Um, yeah, so I, I do. I try to read an actual book. Um, other than that, like, no, I don't have a huge wind down routine mm-hmm. at all. I'm just usually like, okay, <laughs> yeah. go to sleep now. Yeah. What, let's talk about that relationship with, we always talk about this on the podcast, yeah. the, our relationship with social media and your phone mm-hmm. and technology in general. How do you handle that, especially as a writer, but just as a woman in the world? Yeah. And how do you like have a good relationship with that? I mean, currently my phone gives me a lot of joy because women are, you know putting up pictures of the book and saying how much they loved it or how excited they are they finally got it from the library Mm -hmm. or it's just like I love it like all of these messages that I get are positive um but I have been on the receiving end um I used to work for Yahoo Style 
and the Yahoo readers are not kind. So I've been on the receiving end of some horrible comments where it was like, I just want to throw my phone, you know, on the freeway. <laughs> so, yeah, but either, like, no matter what, positive or negative, if you look at it too much, it's, yeah. it's too much for me. Like, yeah. I don't. I get really numb to it. Do you have boundaries with your phone of, like, putting it away well, at a certain time or like to help me get up I put it away from the bed mm, so I do that too to stand up <laughs> I do that too um so that's one trick for sure but I mean I would like to move it from the bedroom entirely but then I'd have to get an alarm clock yeah which I don't why am I gonna do that right <laughs> yeah it's it's a tricky thing I mean I used to have the ability to do a lot of things without my phone yeah. that I don't now. Right. So. It's true because, I mean, I'll just be like tracking steps or like, yeah. you know, just for my own enjoyment because I really need to know how many <laughs> steps I did that day. Like, I don't, but I want I like to it. at yeah. this point. Yeah, I like it. I like I know. it. I know. And just like, yeah, maps and just so <laughs> many things. Yelp. Like, there's just like, there's just so much. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And as a creative person, just like how that affects us, the the writer Danny Shapiro, do you yeah, know her? Do know she her. talks about how like she used to be a smoker, and uh-huh. as being a writer, she used to actually take a break. That was a break when mm. she do a cigarette break. Right. And now she like looks at her phone. She's like, but it's not a break. It's not a break because they're still in that world. Yeah. There was a piece yesterday um on new york mag about how this writer was like i used to waste time on the internet and now i don't know how to waste yes time. i just you know? saw that today like I'm, what do i do yeah <laughs> like, you can news? always be productive he was like that's lame <laughs> like, yeah and it's very true like i used to be able to waste time quite pleasantly on my phone yeah and now it, it just feels like the same workspace that i'm in yeah it feels like a computer. computer yeah 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 it's so mm-hmm. fascinating what about creativity? Like, what's your greatest lesson on creativity? What do you do when you feel uninspired? You mentioned going on a walk. I mean, going on a walk is, it sounds so simple, but it really helps me mm-hmm. figure stuff out. And I don't even have to be thinking about the project and all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, no, that's what I have to do. And then on my phone, write a note. Yeah. That is how I fix that. So that helps. Um, it really getting up from the screen helps me a lot. Um, and then sometimes if I'm stuck in front of the computer trying to get out my word count, I'll like write in all caps. Like that helps me. Really? Yeah. It what, really does. What do you mean? So you just will write... Like whatever section I'm working on or trying to figure out and I'm, it's just not coming and I'm just sitting there in front of the blank uh-huh. screen. Like I'll start writing in all caps and it sort of maybe tricks me into being like, huh. this doesn't count. You're writing in all caps. Wow. And then I just out with the words. Um, wow, so that's fascinating. That. Did you just know. make that up? You <laughs> did. That's so fascinating. <laughs> I always think of all caps as yelling. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't turn anything. Right. right. No, 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 I know. But, but it just sort of... Tri- I'm going to try that. I mean, yeah. Let me know if it works for yeah. you. Yeah. It works for me. That's so fascinating. In I love emergency, that. right in all caps. I love that. <laughs> so you have a lot on your plate, obviously, promoting the book, talking about the book, being a person in the world, <laughs> and like having to be a freelancer, and also... Um, you know, having to be creative and, and write, and how do you handle that, basically? How do you handle stress? Do you meditate? Do you go to therapy? You go on walks? Do you, like, you rely on your friendships? Like, what are, how, how are we doing the self-care here? Yeah, um, I do go on walks, like I said, and sometimes 
truly Ruthie will text me and be like, hey, you want to go on a walk? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. You guys live? Yeah, she lives like a block away. And, you know, sometimes we do it with white wine, like travelers (laughs) of white wine. Sometimes we don't. But it's always just a really, like, wonderful wind down um, for the day. And then, yeah, I, I made it this far in New York without having a therapist. But then last year I got one for the first time. And I really liked it. I was like, how have I gone this long without having it? This is great. And I just talk nonstop to everyone about, like, what is your therapist like? What do you do here? Have you ever done this? And everyone was like, and everyone had been through therapy and they were always like, I can't believe like this is new to you. I'm like, I don't know what it is. It's great. And I, that, I really like her. How did you find her? How do you find a good therapist? Okay. Yeah. My friend, she was like, this this woman's amazing. She changed my life. Oh, cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll ask you for her name. (laughs) I mean, she's good. She, she sees a lot of writers in a way that I didn't know. Like I was fine with it. I didn't care, but like I realized like, Oh my God, she saw this writer. She saw this. A friend and I realized we were going to her, and we didn't know. Wow. Because I was talking about her, and I was like, oh, yeah, she's Italian. And she was like, oh, my God, is she? And I was like, yes. It was crazy. It's like that movie Prime. Did you ever see that movie? It has Uma Thurman and Oh, Meryl yeah, Street. but it's like a horror, right? No, no, no. Oh, wait, then never mind. It's, the concept, this is a spoiler alert of a 2010 film, oh. but <laughs> if you haven't seen it, um, pause. But basically... Meryl Streep's the therapist and Uma Thurman is going to her and she's been with her for like 10 years Uh and she's going through a divorce and then she starts dating Meryl Streep's son who's like 10 years younger than her and it's like drama ensues. Got it. But it's, um, yeah, it's like, it's a delight. It's funny. Yeah. I loved it when I was younger. It reminded me of that. Um, Okay, so these ones will actually be a bit quicker. Okay. So what's the best thing you've eaten in the last week? Truly don't know why I'm drawing a blank. Mm. I had a very good pasta last night oh. with ricotta and vodka sauce and wilted spinach that I made, and it was delicious. That delicious. I, mean, I love pasta. You know, Maybe not as good as what your mom was making in Texas, <laughs> but probably yeah, close. But you know, it's my it's my attempt at cooking. That sounds great. Yeah, that was good. Favorite part of your life right now? That this is this is a different I never expected to be in this position Mm. you know I always wanted to write a book and you know I had very many failed book ideas (laughs) where people like that's not a book not a book like no one's gonna buy that and just that this has happened and I got to do this it's amazing do you know what your next book idea is I'm working on a proposal but it's not solid at all Will it be at all related to this concept absolutely like this is what I want yeah like what I want to do in general overall is just make people feel like, oh no, I'm in the right place too. Mm, yeah. You know, like my life is, we're good yes. here and that's what I want to do. You're so, so good at that. Thanks. <laughs> so I just bought, you wrote a, is it a short story? Oh yeah, a, yeah. The Kindle yeah. single. Can mm-hmm. I, and I, I feel horrible that I didn't oh, get to read please. it before this. But can you talk about that a little bit? And yeah, that is a, it's a really personal story. It's I would say it's a little more personal than text me just mm-hmm. because like it's specifically about my brother and him kind of just walking away like he just didn't he didn't want to be in the US anymore and so he went to Mexico and my mom and I went to see if we could find him and it's the story of that. I'm really excited to read it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. To, I'm like I am in to whatever you write because <laughs> you. you're you're not only is the con- I and I want to say that on the podcast too like not only is the concept really great and relatable and needed like we've addressed like you're also a really great writer Thank and you still so much. in such a great way which is really cool. That means a lot. Yeah. I think we covered most of these. 
Greatest lesson on friendship, if you had to like put it in one line. Other than text me when you get home. <laughs> I think it's that our friendships are stronger and more malleable than we think they are. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, this is definitely not one line, but no, people think good. friendships are disposable or you can walk away easily. And I don't think any two friends want that. I think that they can be repaired or adjusted. I think that they are stronger relationships mm -hmm. than we give them credit for. Oh, I love that. So good. What's your greatest lesson on entrepreneurship and for being a freelancer? Um, God, I could talk about that a lot too. Um, I think it, my, my biggest tip is to have a lot of things going at once. Don't put everything in one thing. Mm because if you have a lot of things going at once one could be great and one could fail but you know you'll still come out as a oh, person like who that. has you know their livelihood going that's that is a good one for me right now yeah i like that um greatest lesson on romantic relationships um my greatest lesson was that they're not everything you know you don't have to put they're they're not the only relationship you should look for. Mm. So true. So good. Okay, greatest lesson or favorite New York moment, thoughts on living in, in New York? Like maybe favorite and least favorite? Oh my gosh. I don't know. I've been here for such a long time, but I can still walk down the street and like turn around and be like, the city takes my breath away. Like yeah. I love that I can still be inspired here every single day. Um, God, I don't know. Like buying my own apartment was amazing. Like this place was empty, and I just remember running around this little L shape, being like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! This is mine!" Yeah, you know, I live here. This is my own space. Like so having cool. my own space in this city made me feel like, like, like there was nothing else I could want in the world. Yeah, that's so cool. Okay, there. This is a fun question. There's one of two. I'll let you choose which one we do. Mm -hmm. Desert Island or Dinner Party? Oh, let's do Dinner Party. Okay. So you're having a dinner party. You can invite five people. Who do you invite? What do you cook? And <laughs> what do you hope that you talk about? And what do you hope doesn't come up that you don't want to talk about? Um, let's see. So five people. Are they, they are real people or who are they? Whatever. However you want to take it. I mean, I don't. Ruthie would come. I would probably have my mom there just because she would just enjoy it so much. Maybe she could do some of her cooking class. <laughs> yeah, skills. exactly. Exactly. Like, I just would want her there for my incredible dinner party. Yeah. Um, I kind of want Judy Bloom to come. Was she cool? Did she you love talking amazing. to her? I love talking to her. And then, um, a side story, a writer friend was at her house in Key West mm -hmm. and she was like, you're not going to believe this. Your book is in the middle of Judy Bloom's coffee table. And I was like... Yeah. Send me a creep shot or I'm never talking to you again. And she sent me a picture. That's it. And it was incredible. That's yeah. so cool. So Did you read her growing up? Oh my gosh. Of course. Yes. yes. And yeah. Summer Sisters is like, I just yeah. love, love, love that book. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. That was, it was really cool to hear the history around that and mm -hmm. to hear about the movie. And that was really cool. Yeah. Okay. So back to the dinner. Party. Okay. So Judy Bloom's coming. Ruthie and my mom are coming. I get two more people. Mm -hmm. Michelle Obama to come? Can she? <laughs> yes, yes. She's so amazing. Do you know anything about her friendships? Does she have a like a Gail King or a? You Ruthie? know, 
It's funny because Hillary Clinton talks a lot about her friendships. Yeah, and that was in the book, which yeah, is great. Yeah, and uh, I forgot. Yeah, I got to interview Linda Bloodworth Thompson, who's a so longtime cool. friend of hers. She was so generous with me. Um, but I, Michelle Obama like occasionally talks about her friends, but not so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like not. Yeah, maybe she needs your wife. <laughs> Maybe she does. I should say. That's good. She'll be at the dinner party. Right. She'll be there. Great. Maybe she can mingle. Um, I don't know. I've been listening to a lot of Cardi B. Can Cardi B come? Yes, of course. Or Adele. Great. Cardi B or Adele. They can both come. Whoever our SCPs. Yeah. yeah, Whoever can make it. It'll be good. (laughs) Great. And what are we eating? Oh, um. of fresh fruit lots of greens great so much bread and cheese like just an incredible amount of bread and cheese i'm thinking like a beautiful platter oh it's gonna be gorgeous there's gonna be platters great multiple platters great (laughs) except for all of the cheese amazing perfect and then what do you hope that this group talks about and what do you hope you just don't feel like talking about I mean, I don't want to talk about the more serious problems with the trump presidency like i'm all for talking about the you know the see me parts of the Trump presidency, that's fine, but I don't want to talk about the more serious problems that give me agita in the middle of the night. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, look, like, I love to talk about people's experience um, being women in this world, you know, like that. I, we don't hear enough about that, and we're just starting to, and I love it. So, yeah. 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 Talk about that. Cool. Okay, so this podcast is called Let It Out. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there was anything that you wish that I would have asked? Did I ring you dry for all of your wisdom? Anything that you never get to talk about that you wish you could talk about more? You had great questions, and this was really fun. Yeah, good. Um, and I wish you so much luck. I'm oh, so excited so to see this get bigger and bigger. Oh my gosh, likewise. Well, I hope we stay in touch the whole yeah. time. I was like, I want to be her friend. I want <laughs> to be, be friends. friends with Ruthie. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we all, this is sort of weird, but since it's called Let It Out, yeah. we always end with a sigh together. So a like, sigh. Just yeah. a sigh. Okay. Like a breath. So okay. I'll like count to three and we can do it. Like okay. in yoga. Yeah, exactly. Like I got the idea because I was in yoga and someone was like, take a deep breath in and let it yeah. out. And I was like, oh, that's my podcast. Right. Um, okay, so okay. ready? One, two, three. <sighs> Feels good, right? Yeah, we did it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That was a delight. Okay, that was my episode with Kayleen. If you haven't read her book, go get it immediately. If you have, I'm sure you especially love this episode. And text your friend. Text your friend maybe this episode. Maybe send it to them in an email. Maybe you want to Snapchat it to them. I don't know how you share information with your friends, but send this to them because I'm sure they would like it. And just even if you don't send this to them, just send them a text and tell them that you love them. As I was reading this book, when I was done with this book, days after reading this book and recording this conversation, all I could think about was how grateful I am for the female friendships I have in my life. And they've changed and grown and there have been people who've come into my life and left my life and people that have stayed consistent and I'm grateful for every single one of them. So shout out to all of my friends. If you're listening, I love you and I'm going to go text them now. So that brings me to the emoji for this week's episode. 
Oh, well, okay. I'll tell you the emoji in one second. First of all, the podcast is going on another break, you guys. I just uh, need a moment. (laughs) So I'll be back next week with a new episode. And then after that, taking a couple weeks off, you can catch up. You can check out some other podcasts. I'm not going to leave you hanging, but just wanted to know that's on the horizon. And okay, that's it. Now on to this week's emoji. If you are still listening to me rambling at this point in the podcast, go leave a review on iTunes. (laughs) I tricked you. That would be really cool and really helpful. And subscribing on your telephone actually is helpful as well with the algorithms, you know, just and sharing it, obviously. It helps me to grow the show so I can keep doing it because I love doing it and I want to do more of it. Now I actually will tell you the emoji, which is obvious. It's the two girls with a heart in between them. So tweet that at me, at Kayleen, to let us know that you're still listening. Comment it on our Instagrams, and we can have more of a discussion on what you guys thought of this episode. I want to know things you do with your best friends. What are you doing with your summer friends? (laughs) What are you doing this summer with your friends is what I I meant. But if you have summer friends, uh, tell me about those as well. Like a summer crush, a summer friend? Sure. Why not? All right. Love you guys. Talk to you next week. Bye. Let's briefly talk about periods. Most of us get them. Sometimes we're excited when they come. Sometimes we're very excited when they're over for the month. And many of us complain about periods and the cramps, the irritation, the bloating. It feels like we're destined to have these symptoms, but it turns out it might not just be your body to blame for these issues. A lot of times the products that we use to manage our periods actually make these symptoms worse. That's why I'm excited to tell you guys about Flex. It's the first true period innovation product in over 80 years. That's right, I got on the phone with them and the Flex people told me that they have not innovated in the category since the 1930s. Flex was designed to change your period. It's not a tampon, it's not a cup, it's actually a flexible disc that fits perfectly inside your body. It holds five tampons worth of fluid, so you're not constantly changing it out, even on your heaviest days. And unlike a menstrual cup, Flex discs are disposable and easy to change even when you're out on the go. So you can go from your office to a workout class to hanging out with your friends and everywhere in between. You only use about two discs a day, which makes it better for the environment. Everything is BPA free, no latex, no silicone, FDA registered, hypoallergenic. It's a pretty cool product, guys. I I think you should check it out. Have the most comfortable period of your life. If you want to, go to IHateTampons.com and use the code LETITOUT to get an additional 30% off your first purchase. Again, that's the code LETITOUT and go to the link in the show notes for 30% off your purchase. Thank you so much, Flex, for supporting this podcast. tell you about one of my favorite brands, Cara Vitamins. You might already know and love them like I do, but if not, Cara is a monthly subscription vitamin service made from effective quality ingredients personally tailored to your exact needs. 
Vitamins can fill the important gaps your body might be missing from its food or give you an extra boost where you need it. To figure out what supplements can help you feel your best, simply go to Care-of's website and you take this super short, fun quiz. It asks you questions about your lifestyle, everything from how much you sleep to how much you poop, and from there, it recommends to you in minutes exactly what vitamins can help you feel your best. All the recommendations are based on clinical research and traditional medicine with input from doctors and nutritionists. I love the packaging and design of everything Care-of makes. Your supplements will come to you in these beautiful, individually wrapped, personalized packets. I love them when I'm traveling and really just every day since I'm always on the go. And I think you will love them too. For 25% off your first month of personalized Care-of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the code Katie. Again, that's for 25% off your first month of personalized Cara vitamins. Visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the code Katie. That's K-A-T-I-E, just in case you didn't know how to spell my name. The music you're hearing behind me now and all other original music in this episode is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. The album art is by artist Zoe Harmon, and this podcast is produced and edited by Amanda Sharp and hosted by me, Katie Dilbout. Check out our website for show notes to everything mentioned.